Hey everyone, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of the NGO Interview Podcast. This episode was so great to record with the founders of XTorch. If you don't know what XTorch is, you will definitely become familiar with it throughout this episode. Big thanks to Gene and Katie Pulesky for coming on the show, talking about what it means to not have electricity, how you can be involved with getting electricity and light to others um, around the world who don't have access to it, and what it's like to go through the shark tank process and to be in front of the sharks. So stay tuned to the end of the episode to listen to that. Thank you so much for listening to the show, and I hope it inspires you to make a difference. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the NGO Interview Podcast. I'm your host, Ben Cobb. Today is a really cool episode uh, because we are joined by the founders of XTorch, Gene and Katie Pulesky. Gene and Katie, thank you so much for being on the show today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having us. So can you tell the listeners uh, where you're based out of right now? Oh, we're in beautiful Minneapolis, Minnesota. Minneapolis, and it sounds like it's hot there from what you're telling me. Yeah, it's like 100 degrees here. And, and what a month ago was snowing, now it's 100 <laughs> degrees. So it's a bit of a shock, but we're used to it because we're tough. Yeah, you're <laughs> tough. That's perfect. You're tough just like X-Torch, it sounds like. That's right. Well, not quite that tough. <laughs> not, not as tough. That's no. great. Well, I'm really excited that you guys are joining the show today. Um, for our listeners that have listened to the past few interviews, um, we are going off track a little bit here because we've interviewed pure NGOs um, in the past uh, few episodes. But XTorch and what Gene and Katie do is a little bit different than running a straight um, NGO. So I would love it if you could just tell us a little bit first off of just what XTorch is. So the deal is the X-Torch is a solar-powered light and power device. So it's a flashlight and a lantern and a cell phone charger that's solar-powered, that's designed and developed to be used in developing countries around the world. So that's that's where it started, and now uh, we sell it here domestically. So it's super tough, it floats, it fits in your hand, it hangs on a tree, it has all of these different functions to it. You can charge it by simply plugging it in with a USB cable into a wall adapter or else sticking it out in the sun. What else, Katie? I think that sums it up. That's, yeah. it's, a, it's one device that does it all. That's what we say. Yes. One yeah. device that does it all. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I know I was reviewing your website beforehand and I was just like continuously reading about all the different features. So I'm sure it's it at times very hard to keep track of all the features that it offers because it really does. And you know, from a this isn't a, a podcast necessarily that reviews items, but from my perspective, uh, as someone who goes camping a lot, it seems like the perfect tool to have uh, going camping. Especially, I love that cell phone charging feature because my wife and I always have to do the song and dance of of charging our phone in our car with you know a cigarette outlet and and having to let it sit there for a little while and we're in the tent and you know it's just a it's just a tough time when you have to do it like that so being able to charge your cell phone with it and then you know just provide light um the fact that it floats it's a very very cool device i really enjoyed reading about it so kudos to you guys for thinking about how to take the flashlight and then just make it like a super mega flashlight and so much more than that well a lot of our customers use it for off-grid 
so they take it camping and normally if you take it camping and you're out for a while you need to bring like a little portable solar panel and a battery and a cable and that's good for your charging your cell phone but then you also need to get a lantern and a flashlight and a pile of batteries so rather than take that whole group of uh, different apparatus we just figured mm-hmm. we'll just make one device that works for that does it all yeah yeah i said it one device that does it all. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, that's fantastic. I know. I really, uh, I think the device is is so uh, ingenious. And, you know, it's a very interesting device because it does a lot more than just provide light and be a phone charger uh, for camping. But it also does a lot of good, like you were saying, uh, in the developing world. Can you tell us a little bit more about the benefits that it offers uh, for people that are living in low-income countries and may not have access to uh, items like electricity and light? Sure. Um, well, I grew up in the Dominican Republic, so I know firsthand what it feels to be without electricity. And so growing up, we always had uh, blackouts, and sometimes it would be for days. And so in my house, we always had uh, candles or kerosene lamps, which, you know, have all these fumes that are very toxic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, and so, and also, I I always heard of, of um, people having fires in their houses because they will leave the candles unattended. And, and you know, lots of tragedies just because of that. And so also, um, Jean and I had the opportunity to go to Africa, in Equatorial Guinea, and we saw the same thing, that uh, electricity was out for days and people didn't have access to reliable uh, light and power. So they will either use candles, they will either use um, kerosene lanterns or flashlights with batteries. But then you know that the batteries died or people didn't have any money. And they're to, very expensive. And they're very expensive, mm-hmm. but people didn't have any money to buy. So it was... Um, it was like a common thread in developing countries. A lack of electricity is is very common. And so, you know, we came up with, specifically Gene came up with this idea, what if we have a solar device that then you don't depend on other things, you just put it in the sun. And usually in developing countries, there is a lot of sun. Um, and the Dominican Republic is, is very sunny. I'm a sunny girl, so <laughs> sun. <laughs> Is always there, and so it will be so easy to have this device in charge. So we have been able to donate a lot of our products to um, several organizations, and we donated a bunch uh, to an organization in the Dominican Republic, and um, and we heard so uh, so many or so much feedback from the families that got the devices, and they were so happy because they were able to use them at night. They, their kids could were able to use it before uh, after dark to to do their homework. They were able and to. That, that's a real game changer. Yeah. Especially for kids because they come home at night and it's dark and mm-hmm. they they may have the books they may have everything they need but they can't do their homework and they can't study. Yes. So. And so also they were able to use it as a night light because the exercise has a a feature that you can do high and low. So they will use the night light, the table lantern, on low, and they were able to have it on all night long. So their children could go and use the bathroom, or if they were afraid, they had that, this little light. So those things, you're, you're not even thinking about those things. 
um, the quality of life. Yeah, but it's a it huge really, impact on yeah. quality of life, especially for the kids. That's yes. a big deal. And then, then the side, the night lantern lasts for 48 hours. Mm-hmm. So even if they, it's not charged up every single day, there's still enough charge in the battery to at least make the kids feel like they're safe and they can still see around the room and where they're going. Yes. And people do what they need to do. Yes. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. And the battery itself lasts for about eight years. Is that right? I think that's what I read. Yeah. yeah. They told us between seven or eight years. Right. It's a special lithium ion phosphate battery, which means it has very low or slow discharge rate and it lasts for a long, long time, about four times as much as regular batteries. And also you can take the X torch and we sell to a lot of NGOs and they will put it in a box and they'll take this box and put it in a warehouse in some part of the world and maybe not get to it for a couple of years. So you can leave it in the box for three years. We've left some in the box for four years. You take it out and it's still charged. So the battery doesn't die during that period to the point where you can't charge it anymore. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it has a good survival rate. Wow. And that's important when you're working with developing countries and you're working with NGOs who are trying to plan for the future disasters. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, I think about the sustainability of that. Just giving a family um, an X-Torch, I mean, sounds like they have light that is able to be regenerated every day for years and years. And that's, like you said, that's so life-changing. Yep. Yeah. And the price... Katie had mentioned that a lot of people use batteries, old style batteries that they end up throwing away, which isn't good in itself. But we figure that the X-Torch will produce as much light as about a thousand C-cell batteries. So that potentially saves someone $2,000. For someone in a developing country that NGOs are serving, mm-hmm. that's huge. Yeah. It's, it's beyond what we can imagine. Definitely. Yeah, that's phenomenal. Katie, you touched on what not having life or not having light in uh, daily life prohibits as far as not being able to do your homework when you go back to school, when you um, come back from school. Um, And I I can imagine so many other things. I mean, not being able to, it would be so difficult to cook at night without light. Very, very hard. And also it's very depressing. Yeah. When it's pitch dark, it is very depressing and even when you have a candle it's like very dim and of course uh, i remember also when when it was when we had this blackout we will sit outside and talk about it but then the mosquitoes will be all around you and so you know it's uncomfortable and um and like i said being in in the dark is 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 depressing it's hard and also i always like to tell this story that you know, the, the lack of electricity was an everyday occurrence. So you could count on it. But we never knew where the candles were. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? And then, oh, yeah. where are the candles? Where are the matches? You ne- we never knew. But with the X-Torch, you can have it in your window, your window sill. So yeah. you will always know where it is. Or you can have it in your drawer and you will always know where it is. So that's a good, a, um, a nice quality. That's pretty amazing. Um, I think that, you know, there are so many ramifications of not having um, access to light that we don't think about in the developed world. Um, Like you were saying, the ability to, you know, not feel um, depressed. I mean, that's huge. And then the ability to congregate inside away from uh, mosquitoes that can harbor um, 
illnesses and the ability to enhance one's education. Um, you know, any, I would imagine, uh, there's plenty of clinics out there that have to operate at night that probably go through rolling blackouts. And, uh, and that can be really difficult if you don't have an access, a light access. Um, we, we were able to send some of our exorcists to, um, to a group of midwives in Haiti. Mm-hmm. And they were giving some training, and of course, electricity went off. When they're doing the training. When they were doing the training, and they were able to use it as a lamp. So they were teaching, they put it with a little clip, and then it will light the whole room. It, it light the whole room. And then, then we also heard stories that they were delivering a baby in Haiti, and they used the extras. Wow. <laughs> as to light can you imagine having a baby pitch dark? Yeah. I would not like <laughs> to have that experience. And try to consider trying to have you do use a candle or a kerosene lantern. But instead, the midwives would take these, our ex torches, into remote areas and they would hang them up in the ceiling of wherever they were working and they would deliver the babies. And yeah. We've heard stories about that too. So light. Light is essential yeah. in so many ways that we can't imagine because we here in the developed worlds, we just, we take it for granted. Yeah, we do. Yeah. We do. Oh. And also, I, I could also say that here in the United States, people, what we've heard is people are using it to have it at home just in case for emergencies. Because, mm-hmm. it, you know, here also we can experience blackouts or like in Texas that they have, all those days with the storm, they didn't have any electricity on in California when they had all those fires. Mm-hmm. So here people are using it to have it just in case. Mm-hmm. And like we've said before, it will be ready when they need it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. That's amazing. You don't have to use up your flashlight battery and everything. I mean, it just sounds like the perfect tool for many different resources. Yes. Um, I loved hearing about the work that you've done with the NGOs and uh, in Haiti and, and throughout the world. Um, I believe that you both have, um, and as you said, Jean, some background in working in um, in Africa and in the NGO sector. Can you tell us a little bit about your background working in the NGO world and what that looked like? In NGO world, well, I would we say, well, Katie and I, we worked together in Africa. Katie was there for a year and I was about there for four months or so and we were doing a feeding program mm-hmm. you want to tell them about the feeding program yeah we were working with an organization called amemos and we were working with several schools and we were we provided the food to feed the kids in those schools um jean also worked in the dominican republic with another organization that had an orphanage and also had a community center so he was there teaching english and helping develop the community center. When we went there, it was just a burned-out building with nothing on the windows, no toilet, pigs literally running through the place, vines all over the place. And mm-hmm. We developed it into a community center that taught, uh, taught women how to sew as a means of a craft to make income, um, hygiene. We taught uh, education. Mm-hmm. What else was going on there? Health. Yeah, and, and also English. We were teaching English. English to the young to the young people. And that's still going on. That was that started 20 years ago. Yeah, and it's still going on. And so in Africa, we also uh, worked with doctors. So we will go into um, uh, medical outreaches in the and the, like remote communities. And so when we will help um, 
the doctors handing out medication or, you know, doing several things um, with them. We also did, I did some work with um, women and, and babies because I love babies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, working with um, lactancia, like um, breastfeeding. And um, so, you know, we did a little bit of everything uh, while we were there. Mm-hmm. And I did quite a bit of traveling throughout those areas as well. And my parents, my father was an engineer, and when he retired, he went to Kenya with my mother, or Ethiopia, excuse me, with my mother, and spent the better part of a year building a bridge. And my brothers also work in, in NGOs mm-hmm. doing development work or they work for world vision and world relief and some of the larger organizations doing you know helping working with their skills one's an engineer and the other's an administrator so i we i come from a family of people who have been engaged with ngos my sister is also she's a physician and she also has a little ngo that she works it's a it's a health development teaching public health to Mm -hmm. in remote parts of the amazon yeah, and also my brother, I remember, he works with Compassion International, mm-hmm. and which is a wonderful NGO as well. Yeah. Wow. Well, one of the interesting stories is that when we were in Africa together, we were driving, we were very far in the remote, up in the hills, but with right where the gorillas are. Mm-hmm. And we're driving down this dirt road, had a pile of people stuffed into an old pickup truck, and out kind of just hiding in the grass, came this woman mm-hmm. and she was holding this child who was like five or six years old. Is that right? Yeah. I think it was younger. I think it was three or four, three years or four old. years old, holding this child in her arms. And she was just walking down this dirt road, literally in the middle of the jungle, nowhere. Mm-hmm. And of course we stopped and we asked her what was going on. And she was saying, my, my daughter's dying. My daughter's dying. She has malaria and I don't know what to do And the hospital's 20 miles away. And she was carrying her daughter in the middle of, the darkness so of course we loaded the daughter and the, and the mother into the back of the pickup truck and we drove them to the hospital but the, the deal is and how it relates to the extra when we got to the hospital they were in this whole hospital there were maybe mm-hmm. two lights on yeah very dim ones <laughs> and, and the doctors and the nurses the few that were there were walking around with flashlights mm-hmm. and that's how they were running the hospital so that you know you see this you see this little child and you see the desperate, desperate look in this woman's eyes. And you think people, people are making it because they don't have light. Mm-hmm. And, and like I said, and, and it was pitch dark and she was walking to the hospital, mm. you know, and, and you will say, well, where is a flashlight? But it really can change your life. You, it, it sounds like a cliche, but imagine a, a, a hospital full with lights or a generator, how different that will be. And even a flashlight can change somebody's life because you you can be there having a, a surgery or whatever, you have light to see what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So we were very grateful that we, we could help this woman. Uh, you know, she was walking to the hospital. It was going to take her forever to get there in the middle of, of the night. Um, and we were happy to um, be able to help. But that all those experiences helped us um, come with this idea, you know, all these, all these experiences little by little make you think, Hey, there must be something that we can do. And I guess this is the something that we are doing to help other people. Absolutely. Yeah. That's amazing. And that's, I love hearing that about, 
you know, people asking, what can I do to help people throughout the world and finding that item that they're passionate about, like you all found, and then figuring out how to use that to change the world. And mm -hmm. I, I, I can't imagine a hospital where doctors and nurses are having to rely on flashlights mm -hmm. to be able to administer IVs and count how many pills to give somebody and to do surgeries. And I mean, that's, it really does, for lack of a better term, shed light on the mm -hmm. need for electricity and, and for light in an area. So that's, thank you for, for sharing that. That's very, very powerful. You're welcome. Um, so as far as, you know, your business model, I think you guys have a very interesting business model um, that you spoke about on Shark Tank. And listeners, yes, we will get to the Shark Tank bit in a little bit. But um, it is very fascinating because here you are with a fantastic product and you're able to sell it in throughout the world, but you're still able to um, significantly impact folks around the world and NGOs around the world with part of your revenue stream. Can you sort of walk us through what your your business model looks like in terms of um, donating to NGOs and working with um, partners around the world? Well, we we started thinking that we're going to make the X torch and we would sell it to nonprofit organizations who are working around the world. But then we realized over the course of three years or so that these, these NGOs in general had their own agendas and they had their own needs to fulfill to serve the people that they were serving and that they were desperate for money. And so they had to make choices between either buying an ex-church or, or feeding a child. It, we realized, well, maybe there's a different model that we could work with that would benefit more people and we would have more revenue to work with more financial clout. And that was what we have right now, which is selling domestically and donating internationally. So, so far in the, since uh, the inception of this com company, we've donated 100% of all of our profit to our nonprofit partners around the world. And we might not be able to continue to do that forever because after a while we have to fill the pot back up. But it seems to work really quite well because we work with smaller, we, we try to work with smaller NGOs, some big NGOs, but smaller NGOs where we know that those people that we're communicating with are going to directly deliver the ex-torches to those people that they have vetted who really need them. Yeah. And we can ensure the impact that way. Yes. Yeah, because when you work, in our experience, when we work with a small organizations, they have um, like a direct uh, contact with yeah, people that are, yeah. that are in real, real need. Sometimes with bigger organizations, like we said, they will put it in a storage. If a disaster comes, then they have other channels to distribute those. And sometimes they probably they won't get to the people that really need it. But when we work with smaller ones, we know that they know the people that we're working mm -hmm. with. And these exorcists will get to, to those hands. And the same way... Uh, when we work with, with churches that have like that they go in short mission trips, they go to places where very remote where and they know that these people really need it because they know the people they get to know them exactly. they know the circumstance so we try not to get bogged down in the bureaucracies of large yes. organizations is quite often a problem and work with the smaller organizations that might have more impact. Yeah, for example, I think it was like three weeks ago 
this uh, woman uh, reached out to us because she was going to Uganda. And and we said, sure. And so we gave her 20 exorcists. And she, she was going to distribute it among the people that were going with her in their, in their suitcases. And they were going to give it to some children in, in that were in their schools, in some orphanages. Mm-hmm. So there is a direct, immediate impact mm-hmm. because we don't have to wait for two months to hear from them. We know right away. They got 20. They gave out 20. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's phenomenal. And, you know, on the NGO interview podcast, we have um, generally the folks that both listen to this podcast and join this podcast are from small to medium sized NGOs. And so hopefully um, the individuals representing those NGOs that are listening and join um, will be able to get in touch with you uh, to discuss, you know, ways that um they can utilize XTorch within their communities. So that's, I'm really glad that you, um, you spoke about that um, because I know that there's a lot of folks that we inter- are interacting with that have very small or medium sized NGOs that can directly benefit from an item like XTorch. Um, but I just, I want to go back for a second because it, it was something that Jean, you said was so incredible that I don't want our listeners to just, you know, hear and, and go in one ear and out the other, but Currently, you're donating 100% of your profits to your NGO partners. Is that, do I have that? Do I understand that correctly? Yep. That's what we've done so far. Wow. That, that's fantastic. That's amazing. Um, I mean, I think from my perspective, you know, my wife and I like to buy, uh, items that we know will be at least down the road serve for a good cause. And so I think that's from a consumer perspective, really a big deal, um, and then also from NGOs perspective, I mean, that's, that's tremendous. So congratulations on, on reaching well, that. Well, thank you. And our overhead is not tremendous. It's not too much. Just Katie, myself, my mother, who's 88 years old. Now she's quality control and she doesn't charge too much. A little coffee, a couple <laughs> cookies, but wants more. Sure. But uh, so far we, and then we do all the fulfillment ourselves. We pack our own boxes. Mm-hmm. They, the factory ships everything right to our, our front steps here, we and our twelve-year-old hauls everything down in the basement. So it's a family-run organization, and we try to keep it efficient. Yeah, yes. yeah, that's great. You've got a staff from twelve years old to eighty-eight years old. I love that. <laughs> as long as they're getting along, we're doing okay. Yeah, yeah. Right. Our fifty-year-old daughter also helps. Yeah, she helps too. <laughs> wow, that's great. I like it. Putting the family to work. Um, yes. Well, you know, I think one of the reasons why I wanted to have you both on the show was because there there are a lot of people, you know, I think in the United States and in the developing world who who want to make a difference. Um, and so either they feel like, you know, they can donate money, which is, you know, impactful in a lot of circumstances. Um, but other than that, they may not be in the position where they can go and start an NGO and live abroad, or they might not be able to start an NGO and live in the United States and fly back and forth to where they're working. And so, you know, it leaves a lot of people with the question of what can I do other than donating, which is important, but what, what can I do? And so can you talk a little bit about people who, uh, to folks who maybe have their own businesses or, um, are high up in a business about, transforming their business model to be more um, internationally sensitive. 
to be able to take their business model, their revenue stream, their profit stream, and be able to, to maybe take a chunk of that and put it towards donations or funding or what have you so that they can become more internationally conscious, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, I think people are, I think customers and people in general are smarter than marketers and corporations give them credit for. And they, people on the ground, such as ourselves, realize when a company is being genuine or not. So I, I think the, the biggest change larger corporations can make can be to be generous, to say, well, we have something that we're passionate about. We have something that we want to support out there, a group of people, a mission, an idea, uh, an NGO. Mm-hmm. And to, to pursue that to, to some degree of actually making an impact as opposed to just making it look good, mm-hmm. I guess. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah. yeah. And also, I think that, you know, if you have a business or something, you can start small. I've heard of people that say, okay, we're going to donate 1%. Yep. And you start with that. You don't have to give 100% of your profits, but, no. but you can do 1%, 2%, but making it into uh, a priority to give back. And I think people like that. I know that sometimes me as a consumer, I as a consumer, I say, oh, I'm going to buy that because those people are giving back. Mm-hmm. And so I think overall, um, you are doing your part on helping others. And at the end of the day, that's what matters the most. Mm-hmm. And it makes great business sense now because people realize that organizations that are giving is something that they want to be a part of and they're yes. much more likely to buy that product or to hire that service because they will be part of a bigger picture. Yeah. That makes sense. So forget everything I said about the ingenuousness, disingenuousness <laughs> of larger, because that probably doesn't come across very well. So we just edit that part out. <laughs> but, but, you know, we also find that true. And I think Katie makes a great point here is that I think organizations, companies, people, little kids, doesn't matter. Just by starting small, mm-hmm. I think it opens up doors to realizing what the potential is mm-hmm. in terms of giving and the impact everyone can have. Yeah, that's that's great. And Katie kind of answered my next question because I was going to ask you, you know, how if a small business is listening to this podcast and they're wondering how can they get involved with helping people in the Caribbean or in Africa what steps should they take? Because it can seem a little overwhelming if you're not familiar with the NGO and international development sector. Um, and I think, you know, you spelling out starting small, 1%, 2%, and going up from there and making it a priority. Um, and Gene, to your point of making it an authentic priority, not just a priority for, um, you know, for show, but instead really caring about the mission is fantastic. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that like the folks that you all work with, um, there's a lot of small NGOs around the world and there's a lot of small wow. NGOs based in the United States. And so a local business partnering with one of those small NGOs uh, in their own city can can do a lot of good and, and uh, kind of proceed to a business model like yours. So thank you yeah, for sharing no, that. Um, we got somebody on Facebook, a friend of mine, she's working with an orphanage in 
in, Bol in Bolivia. Mm -hmm. So she sent us a text and said, oh, I, I saw you on Shark Tank, and I would love those exercises for my um, my uh, orphanage in Bolivia, the orphanage that I help with. And so I was telling her, well, we don't have any right now, but as soon as we have some, we'll let you know. And so another friend of mine said, I'll buy, their, buy them for her. I will buy five exorches and then you give it to her. So I said, that's a way of helping. You know, you can buy something and just donate it to somebody else. And I just thought, oh, that was so thoughtful of her because that was the, her way to doing Absolutely. something good. Yep. Yeah. And there's so many fine NGOs out there. If one does a little bit of research, you can find a local NGO that's mm -hmm. serving something that you may have a heart for just about anywhere in the world. Mm -hmm. There's in there, there are places to do all this research, of course, uh, on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. If you're a small business and you want to partner with an NGO that's close to you, uh, all you got to do is just Google your city and NGO near me. And it's likely that you'll find a really great uh, NGO working near you that you can partner with so that's, that's very NGOs common. in general they're so we found them to be so easy to work yes. with they're just mm -hmm. people so it's not like you uh, a small business would have this huge hurdle to overcome and spend days and days of research to make sure that their funds were used appropriately you just you just pick up the phone mm -hmm. and you call someone down there and say hey this is what i want to do and you you interview a few of them but it's it's a fun process. It is. We always enjoy talking with NGOs. Yeah, and the best part is that they're so excited about what they're doing, and they are uh, working, like they have their feet on the ground mm -hmm. helping people, and that is really exciting for us and really motivates us to keep going. Because mm -hmm. we're all playing different parts. Yeah. Right now, we're in the house packing and selling X torches and doing the manufacturing and, make, do, and running the business, but... We couldn't do it without these small or mid-sized NGOs around the world doing what they're doing. So it, it's a great partnership. Mm -hmm. it, it works well. It does. Yeah, exactly. And it just proves that not everyone has to run an NGO uh, mm -hmm. to be able to make a huge difference. And, and that speaks a lot. And Gene, thank you for saying that it is, you know, working with these NGOs has been a great experience for you all because I'm sure if one wants to be involved with uh, partnering with an NGO, it can be intimidating. Um, you know, another organization working in a different country in an environment that you might not know of. Um, and so, it, you know, I, I appreciate you kind of um, speaking to the ease with which one, a business can partner with NGOs. Um, That's the fun part. Mm -hmm. It's always the fun part. When they come to our door, we talk to them on Zoom or over the phone, we mm -hmm. always get excited and always walk away inspired. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because they're so excited about what they're doing. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've I've experienced that as well uh, already in the these few episodes in this podcast. Um, and, and you know, just like you all, very passionate about what is going on and helping the world. So it's always very, very empowering, uplifting to speak to those people. Hey everyone, I hope you're enjoying the interview. We will be right back after a quick message. Did you know that quality education in Haiti isn't free? It costs families a lot. You can help alleviate the burden for a family and give a child hope for a brighter future by sponsoring a child through the organization Mission of Hope. 
For $35 a month, your sponsorship will help provide a child in Haiti with a good education, a daily meal, the opportunity to participate in extracurricular activities, and will help give a child hope. Hope to dream, hope to learn, and hope to flourish. For a little more than a dollar a day, you can change a child's life. Check out missionofhope.com to sign up today. Thanks for listening to that message. Now back to the interview. Um, so, Kay, you touched, you mentioned Shark Tank a little bit ago. Um, <laughs> Shark Tank. So, um, you know, the goal of this, of having y'all on this podcast was to make people aware of what it means to live without light and how they can help. Um, but I will be remiss probably if I didn't ask you about what being on Shark Tank was like and and that process so uh you can tell us as little or as much as you would like but i'll leave it kind of open-ended um so we can give our listeners a little behind the scenes peek of being on shark tank okay tell about the interview when, when we first went down there yeah tell them so <laughs> katie is kind of an extrovert okay and she's really good with people and i'm kind of an introvert more quiet northern minnesota guy likes it sort of dark and gray so <laughs> And it was, it was, it was middle of winter and Katie said, Hey, I just saw on the internet, on on the internet that Shark Tank is going to be interviewing people here in Minneapolis. So sort of on the fluke, we just got in the car and drove down there and we're driving around and I'm thinking, I really don't want to do this because you have to get in front of someone and kind of sell them and jump up and down and all that. That's what I thought. And so we were, we were, we couldn't find the place. And he was ready to drive. I was ready to drive <laughs> back home and say, forget this whole thing because I didn't want to go anyway. And she said, no. So just as we're about to turn back and come back home, we found it. We walk in and there's all these really finely dressed, well-spoken, smart, thought-out individuals who really have been practicing their pitch. And we've been practicing for maybe 15 minutes. <laughs> so that was it. We thought, oh, no, this isn't going to work very well. And then we went in there. We They finally called us into this room, and there was this really nice guy just behind us, like a folding table sitting in a folding chair and said, hey, guys, what are you doing? He was easy to talk with, mm-hmm. and we felt at, felt at ease, and we said our stuff, and we thought, well, that was kind of fun. We'll never hear from them ever. Yeah, but we did because <laughs> they said, well, if you don't hear from us, that's it. But if you hear from us, it will be like in a month. But then two weeks later, they email us and they say, "Oh, you you are now in the next round." So every we round, we couldn't believe it. We couldn't believe it. No I scream yeah, so I hard. Ice cream going on. <laughs> <laughs> so so it was a very long process because there's a lot of paperwork. They do a background check. You cannot have anything. Um, you have to be spotless. Um, took what, about seven or eight months before we actually filmed yeah so that that <laughs> audition was in january and then they give you they they have you working with two people and then you do a, a pitch um producers the producers and then you have to send videos and then um and so every step is it, you're not guaranteed the next step and they keep telling you you're probably not going to make it to the next step but yeah if you do then this is you have to do this yes and so it was in the middle of covid 
when COVID hit, so so everything was also different. So finally, they say, okay, you're going to film. And so we traveled to Las Vegas. Well, there was a lot of screaming when they said, you're going to film, <laughs> <Yeah>. particularly <laughs> jumping up and down hysterically. <laughs> it was so funny that we knew that electricity was going on was going to go off, but we never knew where the candles were. (laughs) Well, another real important point that needs to be brought up in terms of how this functions in developing countries is that, of course, it's hard to cell phones. And cell phones are the new tool for overused word empowerment because they use their cell phones for banking and for business, for safety, to understand what's going on in the world, to communicate with one another. When we have sent the X-Torch to disaster areas, the first thing people use it for is to charge their cell phones mm-hmm. to find out where their loved ones are and where their families are and where their kids are. And that that's paramount. There are over 40,000 people that apply. Mm-hmm. Forty thousand people and 200 people are chosen for filming and only 100 100 of those people end up i think this year because of covid they chose even less than 200 it was like 100 something was it really and even if you filmed it's not guaranteed that you're gonna be aired Mm -hmm. so anyway so we plan everything we were there we went to las vegas instead of california because at that time california was completely shut down so we had to stay uh, in this place, and we had to um, to quarantine because of COVID. Everybody was super careful. So they were uh, very professional. Yeah, and so Jean and I were together. We were together for nine days. Can together. you believe that? Wow, nine long days. Uh, that was like three years, really. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> but at least we now know that we get along. Yeah, there you go. The business didn't dissolve. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so the our day of of presenting to the chart to the sharks came. Of course, we were super stressed out. Oh, unbelievably stressed out. These guys are are smart and they're tough. Mm-hmm. Yes, they're very tough. And they're not there because they want to be nice to you. Yeah. Yes. Right. So you know, we we were we were kind of scared. Yeah. We I, very I, very nervous. We thought we were prepared, but of course, when you get in under all that pressure, yeah. your brain just wipes out and there's nothing but a snow field of nothingness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and so the the way I describe it, the way I feel I felt was I was in a blender and I was going on all directions because you know they're asking you all these questions. Oh when we're on stage. Yeah, yeah. when we were on stage and you, they're asking you all these questions. We're trying to give your best answer and you have to make it entertaining. I mean all those things are going on. But, but wait, wait, wait. So what we did was we we had them freeze the X-Torch in a big block of ice mm-hmm. yes. that the producer helped us kind of figure out. And they did this the night before or two nights before. So our X-Torch is frozen in a block of ice, right? And we're on stage and the films, the filming's going on and all these people and everything's happening. And, and the X-Torch turns on, but we didn't know if it was going to work after we smashed it with this huge <laughs> bat. And we, and if, if it hadn't worked, what would we have oh done? You get one chance. Yeah. Yeah. So I picked up the bat and I hit it as hard as I can, like three times. And the X-Torch still worked. After all. <laughs> it's not designed to be smashed with a bat <laughs> in a block of ice. But it proves how tough it is. Yeah. But we were a little apprehensive about that. And after that, there was a lot of the pressure dropped from our shoulders. And yes. we felt yeah. And then the thing is that for people that haven't seen it, I will give you a spoiler alert <laughs> um, because we wanted a partner, right? And we were asking 
for this amount of money, for this amount of equity. And so they said, so one of them, Robert Hershevik, he said that he wanted to buy the whole company. And we were like, we were in shock. We didn't expect that. Yeah, we did because they all love the product. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, we were happy about that. But they were like, no, we are going to buy your whole company because you guys don't know what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And, and they were also complaining about our sales, which to us, was great but of course they are used to a lot more um but again we were not we didn't go in, into the show to sell our company we, and we didn't know what they were going to do with the mission and that's why we started the company so they said well here's five hundred thousand dollars we would like to buy your whole company and i turned to katie and i said well what do we do and she said absolutely not <laughs> no way and of course i turned to him and i said no forget it <laughs> yeah because it. after you put so much money effort tears years and years and also because like we have been saying all along we see the the um we see the results we see how people's lives are changed and we know the quality of the device that nothing can compare to it exactly and they didn't get that yeah and so but anyways we said no we're not ready to sell um, this is, we just need a mentor. We need somebody to help us. But for some reason, they didn't see it at that time. Um, we are happy that we didn't sell our You're company happy. and we still own hundred percent. Uh, we were able to sell everything within 24 hours, all of our inventory. We have thousands and thousands of emails from people who want to buy the X storage and many of whom have put down money already to pre-order. Yes. And we don't know what's going to happen when we get our inventory in in October, but we'll probably sell everything that we're having manufactured right now. Yeah. So hopefully we're on the course to great success yes. and that will expand our mission and keep us going for years. Yes. So we and have to thank X-Torch or we no. have to thank Shark Tank. Shark Tank. Sure. Yeah, because it put us on the map. You know that yeah. being on national TV has to be a lot of money. And for us, being there was such a great opportunity. We are so grateful that they chose us because, like I said, we're no special people. And by the grace of God, these people chose us to be in the show. We were able to um, be aired because, again, we filmed in August and we didn't hear from them uh, until March. And they said, now you're going to be aired. So we were like, yay, so excited about it. Um, so it was an experience like no other. Um, and I will encourage people, like if you have a product or something to give it a try because you never know. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Thank Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm a huge Shark Tank fan. So, uh, when I got the email that you guys were interested in coming on the podcast, I was like, Oh, this will, this will be very interesting. And, and hearing about what it's like behind the scenes. Um, but I think, you know, not only were you all able to show your product, but you also were able to tell millions of people about the people throughout the world that don't have access to electricity and don't have access to light and you were able to um you know to share that and to help a country realize oh this is a huge problem that's occurring and hopefully that um spurred on a lot of people to think about what they can do um so that's that's amazing yeah i i had a lot of fun watching it uh listeners if you haven't seen uh, them on Shark Tank, yeah, I would say definitely go that when 
Gene, when you took the hammer to the to the ice and then picked it up, and I was, oh my gosh, that that really drew you in. I love that piece. Very moment in my life. Yeah, that's me. And then I mean, it's not. I mean, it's few and far between when uh, a shark offers to buy a business outright. And, Never. Yeah, that, that's mm-hmm. a testimony that they like the product. Yeah, you know, and so to us, that's a seal of approval because mm-hmm. they like it. Mm-hmm. And so they maybe didn't want to work with us, but they they all said that they were going to be our customers. And to us, yeah. that's that's proven that our our product works. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And I think that, you know, you, like you said, you retaining the business helps you retain your mission and make sure that that's the goal. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right. Last question about Shark Tank. Which shark was the most intimidating? Oh, definitely Kevin O'Leary. Yeah. Definitely Kevin O'Leary. Do you think so? Yeah. Yeah. You know who he is? I do. Yeah, of course I do. I I was I thought Mark was because you know we only we spent half an hour forty five minutes in front of them but I thought he was just so smart. Mm-hmm. Mark Cuban. Yeah, Mark Cuban. He just has a mind for this. You can go and explain all this to him, and within thirty seconds, he's got everything figured out. Looked at the whole business thirty different ways and figure out a way of success and whether he wants. I just that that was intimidating mm-hmm. for myself. Yeah, and he was very nice. He yeah, was very, he was very nice and very helpful. Yeah, we I thought that uh, Lori was going to partner with us mm-hmm. um, because she our product will fit perfectly with the businesses that she helps. But for some reason, she didn't see the benefit, or she didn't see it, us fitting with her. But um, but we thought that she was going to um, partner with us. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, I can definitely see that uh being intimidated. I I would be intimidated by all of them, um and especially you can tell, I mean all of them are just very intelligent, but uh you can the show really makes a point that Mark Cuban is very he's very on it and you know that would be yeah, he's very honest <laughs> and and you know I think it, it needs to be said also. I think ultimately when we we have some perspective that we have now I believe that they were very gracious with us. Yes. They could have been tougher. I mean, of course, they're tough, and it's Hollywood, and they have to make it so the, the audience really enjoys watching. But they said really good things to us, and they could have been mean, but mm-hmm. they weren't. And if nothing, they were they were educating us, and mm-hmm. yeah. we have to appreciate that. Yeah, the thing is, you know, the show, they don't show everything. They only show 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were good things that they said. There were all that might be like a little hurtful but things that you needed to hear because again we were there because we needed help and they gave us good advice Mm -hmm. um and again we don't understand we thought we were going to be like the right company for them to help us grow but but you never know but you never know you never know it's true you never and that's and that's um something that if if somebody's going to apply and you will think, oh no, I don't think I'm. I will qualify. Just go because you never know if your product will be chosen. You know. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I think I've watched the. I think every episode of Shark Tank, and you know, I think that the sharks they can rip people apart. But I think the reason they didn't, from talking to y'all and watching the show, is because 
you both are so um, friendly and, and caring and you have a mission that you're passionate about. It's not just about the money for you. I think, and you know, I've seen plenty of people go on there and get ripped to shreds because it was just about the money for them and they weren't authentic, but you both are very authentic people caring and you have that vision. So um, I, I certainly think that's why the, the sharks were so generous with you. Um. That's right. They were generous. With <laughs> thank you, sharks. <laughs> that's great. Well, thank you for, for walking us through that. I know our listeners um, are interested in that as well as myself. So we appreciate that. Um, the last question that I have for you all um, is a question that I try to ask everybody that comes on the show. And so one of the demographics that this podcast uh, aims to serve is early career professionals who are interested in international development or interested in global health or working in the NGO sector. And so what advice would you give to um, someone who's maybe in college or just fresh out of college um, or still young in their career that they're thinking about going into international aid or international development, global health. Um, what advice would you give someone like that? And we can uh, have both of you answer. Gene, we can start with you. Well, I'd probably give them the same answer that I give anyone who's thinking about a career or a business. And ultimately, you just you have to do what you really love to do. And that's not just global health. That's not just working with NGOs. You find something specific. Like Katie says, she loves babies. She loves to work with kids. So she works in the public school system here and she shines there. It just, you could just tell it fits her. She gets up every single morning and she's excited to do it. So rather than being maybe really logical about the whole process, I think you have to also let your heart speak and listen to your heart and figure out what works for you as an individual. Otherwise, it's never going to pan out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I will add also, if you like uh, traveling internationally, like we were saying, find NGOs or find organizations or find a church that will go places and experience it. Because traveling will change your life. Mm -hmm. And um, especially when you're young, mm -hmm. um, out of college or out of high school, I will advise traveling to everybody. Go to a, you know, a remote area. Go to, of course, somebody, somewhere play, uh, safe uh, or with an organization and experience how people live. It's like, you know, I, um, many years ago, I worked with an organization that worked with Peace Corps volunteers. And these young people will come and work with that community. And many times they will just go back and develop other things because it's different when you hear about it than when you go and do it. It is like speaking a language. Many people say, I can understand better than I can speak. Well, when you go places, people can tell you about it. But if you go and do it, you will, you will um, have a different perspective. So I will say if you're interested in international travel, if you're interested in working with NGOs, if you're interested in developing countries or anything like that, just go and experience it. And then you will decide if you are made for that or not, and then you will find something else. I think you need to go somewhere where you serve rather than just as a tourist. No, just, that's just what I meant. Seat. Like exactly. with a, with you partner with an NGO, with a church or something. Uh, I'm not talking about tourism. I'm talking about working 
going with some like a medical outreach or or something like that that you can go and be of service Mm -hmm. to see if it's something that you enjoy and that you like yeah yeah thank you that that's one of my biggest points that i try to drive home with people because that's how i was uh, first interested in global health. Um, I went on a few service trips to Haiti and Guatemala, um, and just, you know, being exposed to, um, the life that some people, um, live in the developed world was, is eye-opening. Um, and if, if you haven't experienced that, or you haven't, if all you've done was, is read about it and you haven't experienced that served in that capacity, it's really hard to conceptualize it and help it to transform your life. But once you do experience that firsthand in a service trip, then your life can be completely changed. And the way that you live and the way that you think and function and prioritize and operate businesses in the, in the developed world is completely changed. Yeah. Yeah. And then it makes you also put things in perspective and, and realize that your problems compared to others are not that big and make you more appreciative and grateful for what you have. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So definitely encourage anybody who is thinking about taking a vacation uh, anytime soon to think about maybe taking a service trip instead. That would be a a really great thing to do. Yep. Perfect. Well, awesome. Well, before we wrap up um, for any NGOs uh, or individuals that want to get behind the vision and mission of XTorch, um, can you tell them a little bit about how they can uh, partner with you, how they can reach out to you um, about potentially working with you to spread light throughout the world? Okay, well, we um, they, there are several things that people can do to partner with us. One, they can buy our product because the more we buy, the more people buy the more we can donate. Um, so with Summit, um, big and small NGOs, sometimes they buy some of it and we donate part of it. Um, also, we can white label our product. Like if you have this organization and you want to do... Um, we can put their logo. Their uh, we can it. put their logo. So it could be like, it's their product. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the ways. And also, like I was telling you about my friend, you can buy product and we can send them and donate them. And we're always looking for NGOs who need donations as well. Yes. Mm-hmm. We're always reaching out. Awesome. Yes. So, so that's helpful. Great. Awesome. Well, if you're an NGO listening to this podcast, definitely encourage you to reach out to XTorch. And, and even if you're an individual and you're you're going somewhere and you want to bring some XTorches, that would be perfect yes. to be able to yes. do. Um, they can reach out to us through our website, which is xtorch.org. Or else they can email us at info at xtorch.org. Perfect. And I will put all of the links to the website, to their social media pages, to their emails, everything in the show notes as well. Um, And I would also encourage you guys to go and check out their website if you have not. I was looking at it earlier today. And it is fantastic. It uh, dives into a lot of their work, that very impressive work that they're doing all around the globe with xtorch. So definitely go check out their website um, and check out the links to uh, learning more about XTorch in the show notes as well. So Jean and Katie, thank you so much for being on the show. This has been a such a fun hour uh, to hear all about the wonderful work that you're doing, your work and your um, 
dedication is just infectious to everyone, to myself and I'm sure everybody listening. So um, thank you for, for being here. And I look forward to seeing what Xtorch is going to do in the future as well. Well, gracias. Gracias for having us. It was was a lot of fun. We yeah, really enjoyed the, the interview. Thank you. It was not like Shark Tank. This is <laughs> nicer. This is much nicer. Yes. I'll be able to sleep tonight. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Awesome. I'm glad it's not like Shark Tank. All right. Well, thank you guys so much. Take care. Okay. Thank you. All right. What a fun episode. I had a great time chatting with Jean and Katie and learning not just about Xtorch, but about them, about their experience in the NGO sector, about their experience on Shark Tank. It was a really, really fun chat uh, with them. So if you listen to this episode and you want to learn more about Xtorch, be sure to check out the show notes where I'll post their social media links and a link to their website and you can learn more about Xtorch. And I also encourage you, if you're a founder, an executive, a volunteer, an employee of an NGO, and want to get in touch with uh, Gene and Katie and learn more about Xtorch and how you can partner with Xtorch, I definitely encourage you to reach out with them because I know they have some great partnerships and um, they are definitely a great organization to partner with. And lastly, I will say that if you are a business and you are operating in the United States or in a different country, and you're wondering how can you make an impact without starting an NGO, without uh, becoming an employee of an NGO, what can you do? Well, if you run a small business, maybe this is the best route for you. Maybe you can begin um, donating 1%, like Katie was saying, and working your way up from there to NGO and charitable causes. And if you need um, more information on that, please be sure to reach out to uh, the NGO interview podcast, and we can discuss those details and um, more. And I would love to have that conversation with you if you're a business interested in donating more of your revenue and profits to a charitable cause uh, in the NGO sector. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your interest in this podcast. Thank you so much for your interest in helping people all around the world. I hope you enjoy the podcast. I know I had a great time um, talking to Gene and Katie and learning about Xtorch, and I hope that you did as well. And I also hope that this podcast has inspired you to make a change. Mm-hmm.